Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are going into Persuasion chapters 14 through 18, or volume 2, chapters 2 through 6. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it shows up in my book. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good thing to note. My book does not have the volumes. Oh, really? Yeah. But it's not just us for this episode. We have Kristen Smith back, and we're very excited. <laughs> She's joining Hi. us on our trip to Bath. <laughs> nice to be back in Bath. Yes. <laughs> very familiar yeah. since our last time. <laughs> well, before we start, did anyone have any, like, impressions of this section, like, that they want to share before we start really getting into the details? I would say, I think I kind of touched on it on our episode this morning, because the episode we did this morning was on the kind of, like, wrapping up uh, Upper Cross and Lime and how sad yeah. I was to kind of be leaving, because it seemed so... I don't know, just kind of like, it seems so different from where we started because everyone was so much warmer to Anne, although this, most of them were still ignoring her. But it seemed like everyone was just kinder and I don't know, she was, seemed to be having a much greater time. And so coming into Bath, we kind of start in a low point and I'm like kind of not sure how I'm feeling about it, but it starts to kind of rev up a little bit towards the end, I feel. Yeah, it does get a little more like, oh, we're here, where we never really <laughs> wanted to be. <laughs> but we start to get to meet Mr. Elliot, and I really like yeah. just, you know, this extra flirtation from a different source for Anne. So yeah, it's it is, very much, I kind of like that. Yeah, it's very much one of those things where she you can definitely tell from the onset that she's like oh he's interesting and you know she's never really seriously kind of into him so it just is kind of like a nice fun flirtation yeah although i do think that if frederick had never come back and it you know like eight years later he just never showed up again she probably would have ended up with mr elliot i'm guessing if mrs yeah. smith who we i don't even know if we meet yeah i think we meet her in this section too yeah if yeah. mrs smith hadn't ever told her you know her information she might have ended up marrying mr elliot yeah i guess it would yeah. not have been a necessarily bad place to be <laughs> yeah probably i don't know <laughs> i think she would have been fine yeah but just fine <laughs> i just don't trust mr elliot of all the potential murderers in jane austen i feel like he's the most likely <laughs> uh even more so than on um, what was his name from uh emma uh, Frank Churchill? Oh, yeah, definitely. Frank Churchill? Okay. I feel <laughs> William Elliot was definitely more likely to have killed his wife than Frank Churchill oh. was to have killed his aunt. <laughs> Maybe equally likely, but... Possible murderers. <laughs> what about you, Kristen? You also didn't get to talk to us about um, the last section, so did you have anything from that one you wanted to mention? Not that I can think of in particular, but the one thing that I sort of generally was noticing going through this time is... How many times we have a situation where Anne is expecting kind of the worst and then something happens. Oh, I was pleasantly surprised. I was pleasantly mm -hmm. surprised about this and pleasantly surprised about that. And I feel like after um, when I was on before and we were talking about it being sad there at the beginning and I feel like now we're getting well, it's it was sad, but things are getting better and she wasn't expecting that. And yeah, so that's been fun to fun to sort of trace 
the reading this time. Yeah. And she does have a tendency to go, you know, things are going well. I am now expecting something horrible to happen, you know, <laughs> right. in that way of like people who aren't used to good things happening. <laughs> yeah. Right. It definitely, I feel like it's the one of the biggest like pleasant surprises for her is how her father and how her sister receive her <laughs> and how there's sort yeah. of acting in much better spirits towards her. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, good. Some variation to our dinner party. <laughs> Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm looking back at the pages from your last section. And I love I love where they go to see the Crofts at Kellynch. And oh, Admiral yeah. Croft is like, oh, there's too many mirrors in the dressing room. I had to take those out. <laughs> I just, I really, I love the Crofts. They're just such good people. Yeah, I think oh, we yeah. were talking on and on about how great we like the crops as well. <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad we get more of them unexpectedly in this uh, section too. Yet another yeah. good unexpected thing happening. Exactly. Some more coincidences. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to say I was editing the first episode earlier today and I did notice that I said that I thought that Jane Austen's mother's family was named Stevenson, but that I remembered, no, that's actually where she lived. She lived in the town of Stevenson. And I think ah. her mother's family were, were the Lees or the Lee Perros or something like that. Anyway, just in case you were like, you got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so you would not have heard from me. because I, I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> not that it's that important. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get into the notes. All right. So for notes today, I kind of wanted to talk about kind of like the process of this book kind of coming to fruition and how it differed from Austen's other novels. Because I had found that it said that unlike Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice, Persuasion was not written from earlier drafts of novels that Austen had originally before 1800. So the oh, book, okay. yeah, it was pretty much completely different the way it came about and how most of her novels had these drafts that were from like about 10 or so years ago that she would kind of go through. And this novel was written only between two or three years from start to finish. And so definitely mastering her skills. <laughs> yeah. And what's really great about this one is that a lot of her first drafts of her other novels were lost. Like no one can ever find them, but you can see her total writing process with this novel from beginning to end and how she was very meticulous about her editing and refining her passages going through. And there is a pretty interesting section of the Wikipedia where you can go in and it shows you how how she edited, I think it was, they called it a canceled chapter 10. I think she had originally wrote it and then had completely reworked all of it. And so it shows the original version and then it gives you like the edited version and how it differed. And it's, so it's really interesting to kind of look in and see how she went in and completely restructured the entire thing. That's cool. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And just, I don't know, it just seems like it's so interesting to think about how she had, you know, technically 10 years for uh, the other novels to kind of go back and add more to it. And then this one just kind of seems to be so quickly written and at a very, like, I would say maybe trying time of her life. And it was written yeah. within two or three years, and it just seems so much 
I don't know, it seems so more mature. And it, I would have thought that she had edited it, it so much longer, but yeah. I guess she just kind of poured everything into it. I wonder if how much of it is like, you know, you know that you have a limited amount of time left. And so you're working right. as much as you can and how, or how much of it is just like, she just trusted that she didn't need, you know, her one edit was enough, you know? Right. But I guess I it's mean, like, she probably would have had another edit or so if she was going to take it to a publisher, but probably, especially considering all her other ones had taken so long, she probably, if given the chance, would have probably come back to this and reworked it some more. And yeah, and who knows true. what we would have gotten from Sanditon also. That's an interesting <laughs> yeah. thing to think about. Yeah. But I thought that was so interesting to kind of go through. And there's a, I don't know if it's like a, an essay or kind of like an article or anything, but it's by American literary historian A. Walton Litz and kind of goes into the special quality of persuasion and how it differs from the other novels. So it was really interesting just to read all that and see how this book it continues to be so different from all her other works. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I think I actually might have something in one of the deep dives about a revision that she made, like a specific one. When we get to the Lady Russell deep dive, we'll see. <laughs> oh, I wonder if it's maybe that it one. It might be this one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I can see. Let me see. Yep, it's this one. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. Well, should we just go ahead and get into the recap then? Yeah. Sounds good. So we start with chapter 14. Anne is still with Lady Russell at her house before she's going to Bath. And Mary and Charles come back from Lyme and come to visit. They give an account of what's been going on in Lyme. Uh, Louisa is getting better. She can sit up, but her nerves were susceptible to the highest extreme of tenderness still. Which I think means she's very weepy. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> A near-death experience. Yeah. It says, like, she starts at, like, uh, sounds and stuff. So I'm uh, guessing it's still very, like... Um, overwhelming. Yeah, like, sen- all her sensations are super heightened, kind of. Although, to be fair, the uh, the Musgrove's interpretation of just a little bit of noise is probably not... <laughs> A little Super bit accurate. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> Say with all those children and their normal loud timbre. Yeah. But Louisa is not going to be ready to come home before Christmas. And Mary actually seems to have enjoyed her time and was possibly actually helpful while she was there. <laughs> <laughs> Would love to see it's it. hard to say because it was her own account of it, but yeah. it seemed like she helped with the kids <laughs> a bit, you know, maybe tried to take some of the pressure off of Mrs. Harville. And maybe, you know, she was like, I can't let Anne show me up that much. So <laughs> <laughs> so she might have been helpful, but the motivation for doing so might have been not completely pure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anne asks about Binnick. Mary and Charles say they invited him back to visit, but he declined when he learned Anne wasn't actually staying at Upper Upper Cross anymore, or that's what they think, (laughs) at least. Charles says he 
does seem to think a lot about her, though, Finnick. Anne is flattered because he's like reading these books that she recommended and talking about, oh, I would like to talk to her about this book. Anne is kind of flattered. Oh, yeah. He's he's also sharing what Anne taught him with Louisa. So, funny. Mary thinks that Binnick is boring, though, and she doesn't think Lady Russell would like him, but Charles and Anne stick up for him. <laughs> there, are, I wonder how much she thinks he's boring because he didn't come visit. Like, if he had come to visit, would she still have thought he was boring? You know, Mary's very fickle. <laughs> <laughs> I think because he maybe took more of an interest in Anne and didn't really take any sort of interest in Mary, she's like, well, he's boring. You wouldn't like him at all. All he talks about is boring poetry and books that I never read. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're also filled in on Wentworth, who's also regained his senses and now seems to be avoiding Louisa and was planning on going away to finally visit his brother. Anne and Lady Russell are both thinking about Binnick a lot and wondering if he would show up, but he doesn't. And Lady Russell determines that he's not worth it. (laughs) (laughs) I said, even though Lady Russell has her problems, I can't help but understand and sympathize with a lot of her feelings. (laughs) She's like, well, if he's not going to show up to court Anne, then he's not worth her. So <laughs> He's not going to put in the effort. Also, she doesn't seem to like Mr. Elliot, who they kind of talk about meeting because of his past bad behavior, which mm. is understandable. Right. Uh, Henrietta is staying in Lyme, but the rest of the family have come home for Christmas. Apparently, the Musgroves, as we said, have several younger children who are away at school. And they also bring the Harville's children with them to lessen the load and Lyme. And Anna and Lady Vis... What? I just said, geez, all those kids. <laughs> I know. Anna and Lady Russell go to visit Uppercross, and it's like a madhouse with all the children. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Musgrove thanks Anne profusely for all of her help. Lady Russell does not like the sound of children screaming and is like, I will not be visiting them for Christmas. (laughs) Uh, She's ready for bath. Yeah. Yeah. She's more suited to the bath life. Yeah, definitely. Anne is not. I mean, she never had any kids. Of course, she's like, 15 screaming children. I can't take it. Anne is not quite ready to go to Bath, but they must and they do. (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth has written that Mr. Elliot is in town and was trying to mend the connection to the family. And Lady Russell is already ready to forgive him. (laughs) And Anne also thinks she would rather see him than not see him. (laughs) That's such a great line, which was more than she could say for many other persons in Bath. I might as well see him as not. (laughs) it's not a high compliment yeah better than everybody else though seemed to appreciate me last time i saw him (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh chapter 15 Anne gets to camden place where her family has moved she's dreading it but elizabeth and her father seem happy to see her even if it's just so that they can have a fourth at dinner (laughs) and tell her all about their furniture <laughs> show off the furniture to someone. Like Mrs. Clay isn't really good enough. <laughs> <laughs> they uh yeah, they love Bath. They're super popular. 
people who they don't know at all like show up all the time to leave their cards for them they but of course they really don't care at all what's been going on with Anne or the Musgroves they just want to talk about themselves no surprise <laughs> they also love Mr. Elliot <laughs> and <laughs> As soon as he came back and apologized and flattered to get back into their good graces, they were delighted with him. <laughs> <laughs> he claims, uh, Mr. Elliot claims, he never said anything bad about the family. He also has a friend vouch for the fact that not only was his late wife educated, so sophisticated and rich, but she was also very in love with Mr. Elliot and pursued him. And Sir Walter understands. How could Mr. Elliot have resisted? (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Elizabeth is not quite so charitable, but is also willing to forgive. (laughs) (laughs) She'll kind of just follow Sir Elliot's, uh, Sir Walter's. I'm sure he's flattering her too. And she's like, well, you know, I did think about marrying him once, so maybe I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And is like, wait a minute, why is he so different now? He doesn't need us to like him to inherit the house and the title. And so she kind of thinks that maybe he wants to get together with Elizabeth. Like, maybe he's courting her. She's trying to tell her family what happened in Lyme. uh, Or no, that she saw Mr. Elliot in Lyme. But they are reluctant to believe it and won't listen to her description of him because they are too busy describing him themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Sir Walter is only interested in his looks, which he has to say are altered. He calls him underhung, which I just had to laugh in my childish way because it's such a funny expression. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what it means, but it sounds sturdy. Oh, Uh, I I actually have a note on that. Oh, okay. (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) The note says uh, it means having a projecting lower jaw. So, okay. So like an underbite? (laughs) I don't know. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Big chance underbite something. Something like Nowadays, that. I don't think that's what you'd be meaning if you said someone was not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Um, okay, so and then I said, if you've ever seen a man in the street, people watching, and been afraid they were judging you, that was Sir Walter. <laughs> <laughs> and he was. He was judging yes. you. <laughs> he says, one day he saw 87 women go by and there was not a tolerable face among them and don't even get him started on the men. <laughs> I'm like, so you just stand on the corner and are like, ugly, 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 ugly. <laughs> Underhung. Like playing hot or not on the street. Like a mean girl. <laughs> yes. I know. Oh my God. Uh, he does wonder how Mary is looking and says that he would send her a new hat and police if he didn't think it would encourage her to go out and thus expose her to ugly making winds. (laughs) (laughs) Those freckles. Just then, though, there's a knock at the door. At 10 o'clock at night! I was appalled. (laughs) They have such (laughs) late hours in Regency, England. (laughs) Yeah, too late. But it's Mr. Elliot. They introduce Anne, and he immediately recognizes her recognizes her and seems pleasantly surprised 
She thinks his manners are excellent, only rivaling one other person she's known. And I said, please don't say Wentworth because no, he does not have the best manners on earth. I'm sure of that. <laughs> so he doesn't seem to be. <laughs> I mean, she might like them the best, but. Hmm. They talk about how they were right next door to each other at the inn. And he says that he jealously listened to their merriment and wished he had asked to be introduced. Uh, then there's, I have a quote. Well, it would serve to cure him of, well, it would serve to cure him of an absurd practice. I've never, of never asking a question. Okay. Maybe it's because I wrote it wrong. Oh, at an inn. Okay. <laughs> I think I was saying it by voice and it was transposing it. So, okay. Is it, well, it would serve to cure him of an absurd practice of never asking a question at an inn, which he had adopted when quite a young man on the principle of it being very ungenteel to be curious. <laughs> Eye roll. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> The notions of a young man of one or two and twenty as to what is necessary in manners to make him quite the thing are more absurd, I believe, than those of any other set of beings in the world. The folly of the means they often employ is only to be equaled by the folly of what they have in view. <laughs> Amen. Twenty-one-year-old <laughs> uh, boys. <laughs> <laughs> So Anne tells him about the accident and he seems genuinely concerned and only then do Sir Walter and Elizabeth seem to care at all. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, Anne is impressed with him and he leaves at 11. And after Anne is surprised to have actually enjoyed her first day in Bath. <laughs> <laughs> Unexpected surprise. <laughs> uh, chapter 16. The next day, Anne goes down for breakfast and overhears Elizabeth and Sir Walter entreating Mrs. Clay to stay. Elizabeth whispers that Anne is nothing to her compared to Mrs. Clay. And Sir Walter compliments Anne's looks. Oh, when she comes in, Sir Walter compliments Anne's looks and wonders what she's been using. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> he recommended Gowlin to Mrs. Clay and it quite carried off her freckles. And I said, Regency skin bleach, yikes. Yes. <laughs> Anna's like, I still see freckles. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it had like corrosive substances that would strip the layer of your skin. Oh so it's like a chemical peel, basically. Yeah. Uh, no, God. <laughs> no, thank you. No regulations. <laughs> I said, this chapter is cracking me up. <laughs> okay. <so. laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was the Regency skin, skin bleach. Um, <laughs> Lady, <laughs> Lady Russell is annoyed about Mrs. Clay taking Anne's place. Well, as annoyed as someone who takes the water, <laughs> gets all the new publications, and has a very large acquaintance has time to be vexed. <laughs> <laughs> but she does change her tune towards Mr. Elliot and thinks he's great now. Mr. Elliot can just charm anybody's pants right off. She obviously thinks that he'll go for Anne, but Anne assumes that he's interested in Elizabeth. She also feels guilty for even thinking about him that way, considering he's still in mourning for his wife, who only died seven months ago. But overall, Anne thinks he's their most pleasant acquaintance in 
bath. Uh, the household hears that the Dowager Viscountess Dalrymple and her daughter, the Honorable Miss Cartwright, are coming to town. They are cousins to the Elliots. The Elliots basically speak of nothing else for days, and Anne is very disappointed with her family. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else, including Lady Russell and Mr. Elliot, think it's a connection worth having, and after worrying and groveling a bit, they fell out because neither sent a letter when their family members died. Sir Walter sends an obsequious letter and then they're friends. <laughs> <laughs> when they finally meet them, Anne is less than impressed. They don't have anything to say. They don't play the piano or anything. <laughs> they're not even very good looking. Uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, Anne. <laughs> There's the Elliot coming out. <laughs> She's like, I can't even look at them and think of them as pretty people. I mean. <laughs> Mr. Elliot still thinks that they're good company. Anne says she thinks good company are clever, well-informed people who have a great deal of conversation. And Mr. Elliot corrects her and says, that is not good company. That is the best. Good company mm -hmm. only requires birth and manners. Education is not really important. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, Whoa. One of my favorite favorite lines in austin yeah that one always makes it into the adaptation because it's yeah, a real it's such a good, line. <laughs> good one and is like well maybe i have more pride than any of you but i confess it does vex me that we should be so solicitous to have the relationship acknowledged which we may be very sure is a matter of perfect indifference indifference to them <laughs> Mr. Elliot declares that he loves her indignation and says he <laughs> thinks pride is a good thing and knows that any new relations will turn Sir Walter's head away from undesirable connections, namely Mrs. Clay. <laughs> and Anne kind of likes him more for not liking Mrs. Clay. <laughs> I love that line too. That was great. I was like, oh, well, that's catty. Yeah. <laughs> Anne's not immune. She's still got her flaws. <laughs> oh, for sure. Which is definitely more realistic. You know, even a good person from a crappy family is still going to have absorbed some of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's hard not to with Sir Walter as your father. Yeah. Um, chapter 17. My book has a typo and labeled it chapter 27. But <laughs> I got very confused for a second. I was like, wait a minute, did I skip out the book? Okay, chapter 17. While her family's off wooing the Darbrimples, Anne is visiting an old governess and learning that an old school friend is in town. Miss Hamilton had helped Anne at school as uh, she was still upset about the death of her mother when she went to school, Anne was. But now she, is, she, was, she got married and now she's Mrs. Smith. She's widowed, she's poor, and she has rheumatic fever in her legs, which has left her crippled. And she can't even afford a servant. And isn't it, wasn't her husband also named Charles? Because I think uh, I was like, Charles Smith? Like, Kristen's husband? <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. Anyway, I guess we'll find out. But I thought the whole time, I was like, God, there's so many Charles. Okay. <laughs> this is the Charles book. Okay, so they meet up. And though both are much changed, Anne really likes her still. She says, neither sickness nor sorrow seem to have closed her heart or ruined her spirits. 
And she's quite impressed that even though so much had gone against her in life, she was still cheerful and doing well. And Mrs. Smith admits when she first arrived in Bath, she was depressed, but her landlady and her nurse showed, showed her that there are still good people who will watch out for you, even if you didn't know them previously, which is nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are, especially when you're like confronted with all these Elliots who don't care about anything. And it's like, oh, well, there's people, strangers who will help you out sometimes. So. <laughs> We're still good people. <laughs> yeah. Nurse Rook even taught her to knit and has employed her to make pin cushions and such for fancy ladies. <laughs> she says people are especially generous when they recover from an illness. And Nurse Rook seems like a really cool lady. <laughs> and yeah, very cool. I said, I wish hope we see more of Anne talking to her, but I don't think we ever. I think Anne meets her at the door once, but we never really get to talk to Miss to Nurse Rook. But she does seem like a cool lady from what we learned about her. Anne hasn't bothered to tell her family at all about her visits to Mrs. Smith, but is obliged to when they want her to go to dinner with Lady Dalrymple, and she has already made plans with Mrs. Smith. Her father is a mega snob and says, (laughs) Who is this lady with no money and no relations to be important to you? And Mrs. Clay, hearing this, leaves the room. (laughs) (laughs) step out (laughs) Anne wants to defend her friend but she can't make herself disrespect her father (laughs) and so stays quiet but goes to visit Mrs. Smith again despite what her family wants she does show a lot of deference to her father there's a couple times where she hears about people talking smack about her father and she's like I just can't bear to hear people talking so bad about my dad even though she seems pretty clear eyed about his faults but you know she's still She still loves... I mean, he is the only parent she has left. Yeah, I I think... Yeah, I think it's, like, uh, kind of time in... uh, Like, certain occasions we kind of see her kind of revert back to that more to, like, maybe, like, respect for, like, traditional, like, hierarchy and, like, she's the father... He's the father, so she has to, like... Yeah. Even though she knows he's a terrible person, (laughs) she kind of still, like, sits on that side a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I I like it because it's like, you know, he, it doesn't matter who you're related to. You still love them, you know, in your mm. own way. <laughs> right. Usually. I mean, at least in this book. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the next day she, you know, of course, has to hear all about this meeting with the Dalrymples. Apparently Lady Russell and Mr. Elliot cleared their schedules just to go. <laughs> and they talked about Anne all night. Mr. Elliot was particularly pleased in Anne keeping her appointment and visiting her old friend. Mm-hmm. He likes her. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Lady Russell is already calculating how much longer he will need to be in mourning before he proposes to Anne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she hints to Anne who has already said, no, we wouldn't suit each other. But Lady Russell thinks, or she's like, you could be Lady Elliot of Kellynch Hall, just like your mother. And for a few minutes, Anne gets really into the idea. But then after thinking about it, she's like, well, I still love Wentworth. I can only love one person. And she really doesn't think she can trust Mr. Elliot. He travels on Sundays after all. (laughs) (laughs) 
He's too agreeable. He never shows any passion for anything. And he talks shit about someone behind their back and then pretends like they're great to their face, like Mrs. Clay. Mm. And trust him. And, okay, so that's chapter... Okay, so now chapter 18. So we're a month into being in Bath. Anne is wondering what's happening with everyone at Uppercross. Mary doesn't really go into detail enough in her letters. But just then, she gets a thick letter with compliments from the Crofts. And Sir Walter is like, I'm going to go visit them. I know it's due to my tenant. (laughs) And Anne doesn't really listen to anything he's saying because she's too engrossed (laughs) in this letter. Okay, so the letter at first is Mary being annoying about Harville, the Harville children staying at Uppercross, <laughs> and the Crofts not coming to collect a letter from her before they left for Bath, and she ends the letter, but then comes back to add some more. <laughs> the first part of the letter is all blah, 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 but then when she comes back, she's, <laughs> she's all excited. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, Louisa got home with the Harvilles. She and Mrs. Harville talked about how being Louisa's nurse... Oh, uh, yeah. Mary and Mrs. Harville had a little chat, and they were talking about how being Louisa's nurse made them love Louisa more. (laughs) 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 Which I thought was sweet. The Crofts did come by to get the letter, and now she loves them. (laughs) All you have to do is show Mary some respect, and she will love you. (laughs) <laughs> until the next time attention. she thinks you mess you mess with yeah her. until the next time <laughs> <laughs> but drum roll the biggest news of all louisa is engaged to captain binnick what <laughs> <laughs> and had never in her life been more astonished <laughs> <laughs> it was almost too wonderful for belief and it was with the greatest effort that she could remain in the room preserve an air of calmness and answer the questions of the moment (laughs) happily for her there were not many (laughs) (laughs) the only thing sir walter and elizabeth care about is whether they should introduce the crofts to the da rimples and they decide not to (laughs) (laughs) Anne is like wondering about the whole thing It seems like just a situation put Binnick and Louisa together. And as long as Wentworth and Binnick didn't fall out because of it, she's happy. Maybe too happy. (laughs) (laughs) She said, no, it was not regret, which made Anne's heart beat in spite of herself and brought the color into her (laughs) cheeks when she thought of Captain Wentworth unshackled and free. She had some feelings which she was ashamed to investigate. They were too much like joy, senseless joy! Exclamation point. <laughs> so passionate. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> the Crofts seem to know everyone in Bath because they've come to visit. They're always out walking around. He's come because of his gout, which walking is supposed to help. And... Anne sees them basically every time she leaves her house. But she's rarely actually free to like run up and say hi. But one day she runs into the Admiral when she's alone looking through the window of a print shop. She actually has to like tug on his jacket to get him to notice her because he's so obsessed (laughs) with this picture of a boat that he's pretty sure would tip over in a slight wind. (laughs) (laughs) So obsessed with his boat. (laughs) 
He's like, how could you draw such a horribly made boat? <laughs> He's like, this must be a comedy picture. Uh, so they walk together. Um, <clears throat> this is where Mr. Croft or Admiral Croft is telling Anne that he wished all women were named Sophie because he never remembers anyone's Christian name. <laughs> and I'm like, the irony. And here I am struggling to keep all the Charleses and Elliots and Musgroves straight. <laughs> I wish they were all named after my wife, so I wouldn't remember It would be that. so confusing if every single person had the exact same name. <laughs> it's already confusing enough. But he does want to tell her about the letter they received from Frederick. He thought it was a strange way for him to court Louisa by leaving Lyme and not returning. <laughs> <laughs> he assures Anne, though, that Frederick didn't seem in the least disappointed or ill-used by the engagement and wished them both genuine happiness. And the Admiral thinks it's time that Frederick came to Bath so he could start over with a new girl. <laughs> or an <laughs> old flame. Or an old girl. Miss <laughs> Croft doesn't know about it. Nobody once thinks, why doesn't Anne get together with Wentworth? Because <laughs> <laughs> no one. She's such really a lost consider. cause in everyone's yeah. mind. <laughs> right. They never take the chance to consider her. Ah. But that's the end of this <sighs> section. I can't believe Unexpected how fast we're flying through these recaps. <laughs> I know. Well, I feel like when you're reading it, there's like so much. And then. It's just, I don't know, it's just so funny. It's, like, hard not to just laugh your way through it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I really like this section a lot. Um, Me too. I, really I mean, it. it's not the most exciting section. It's just setting up stuff, but it's it's one of the more funny sections because yeah. it's a little more narr narrator-driven and it's a little more, you know telling about what people are really all about <laughs> yeah it's a lot of revealing yeah and i like getting to know mr elliot especially at this point where you're like wow he just seems so great i'm you know wentworth is gonna have to really try if he wants to get together with him now. <laughs> <laughs> but no. <laughs> no you can never trust a man in jane austen that everybody likes everybody right. likes him there's something wrong with him yeah. If you come across as really obnoxious and not obnoxious, but like people pleasy, really no, aloof, no, obnoxious. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, then you'll, you're actually good inside, but like you come across as nice <laughs> and friendly to everyone. You're just putting on a show. <laughs> oh, except for Henry <laughs> Tilney, except for Henry Tilney. Except for Henry Tilney. <laughs> He's the only one that's pure. <laughs> At least when you're talking about a main love interest. Yeah. Right. And I guess to be fair, a lot of people don't like him these days. So I everybody in the book likes him, but like, I don't know. <laughs> Readers I find him. So funny. Yeah. Um, Charles comes across as nice and he is nice. So there's plenty of like Charles Bingley. Okay. All the Charles. You yeah. said Charles, <laughs> you know, I like, could have been anybody. <laughs> could have been one of the 10 in this book. <laughs> Did we have any favorite moments from this section? I think for me, once again, it's going to be a Mary portion, but <laughs> the end of the first part of her letter specifically made me laugh when she was talking about sore throats. And she said, I dare say I shall catch it. And my sore throats, you know, are always worse than anybody's. <laughs> <laughs> Just... 
It's gotta be always number one at everything. <laughs> I have Even the worst sore throats. <laughs> and you know this. Uh, what about you, Kristen? Do you have a favorite moment? I think I, I really enjoyed imagining Christmas with the Musgroves and poor Lady Russell. And yes, I mean, Anne is okay with it more or less, but just getting through it and um <laughs> i can it's just fun to imagine that chaos and yeah. then you get into your quiet carriage afterwards and you're just like never doing that again ever <laughs> <laughs> i used to work at summer camp and something about a bunch of children screaming at the same time is like the most exhausting sound on earth it like sucks <laughs> all your energy out of your body <laughs> It's like one of those things you kind of have to like have kids and just be get hardened to it. I imagine over time. <laughs> <Get> used to it. <laughs> so my new parents are always so exhausted. <laughs> yes. That totally makes sense. Oh, children are like little vampires. <laughs> Every little, scream uh, sucks energy from you. <laughs> <laughs> little energy vampires. Uh, yeah. Let's see. My favorite moments. I mean. I, I like all the, the like little funny quips. What's a really good one? Like when she first comes back and we're talking about Sir Walter and I like the the face cream bleach <laughs> stuff. <laughs> the chemical peel. Yeah. <laughs> I like Mr. Elliot, you know, for what he is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be just the type. I'd be like, oh, I'm so interested in you. <laughs> Horrible person. <laughs> yeah, and it's fun to be in Bath. And I'm so glad that the Crofts are here and that it's not like, well, we left Upper Cross and we're never going to see any of these people again. The Crofts come, we hear from Mary, you know, it's, it won't yeah. be too long before they show up too. And so it, that's, I like to see the clash of the two worlds. <laughs> yeah a big reunion <laughs> yeah and which i definitely prefer to be with the upper cross folks at any given yes. time <laughs> <laughs> absolutely oh god i just i couldn't even i couldn't deal with elizabeth i would be giving her all sorts of under the breath comments like constantly. <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't feel safe around sir walter i feel like he would point out everything that's wrong with my face and make me take that cream <laughs> That's true, but I feel like I'd be it'd be easier for me to laugh off Sir Walter than Elizabeth. I don't Elizabeth. know why. Maybe I just assume <laughs> that Elizabeth is a little more cutting, more knowledge. I don't know. Like maybe she just has a little more depth of character than Sir Walter. Mm -hmm. So, but I could yeah, be I could see that. <laughs> she just seems to be a little more knowing. But not much, so maybe she'd be just <laughs> the same. <laughs> I keep imagining the big bow hair that they had in that adaptation we watched when they went to yeah. bath. <laughs> well, she looked especially ridiculous. I think she had like a very white face and yeah, her clothes. She looked very much like a subdued Regency Marie Antoinette. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, she did. <laughs> Okay, well, should we uh, go ahead and start getting into the deep dive? Sure. sure. 
Okay. So I did it on Lady Russell. And I did find a good essay in defense of Lady Russell or The Godmother Knew Best by Joan (laughs) Kringle Ray. And I also found some stuff from Sharp Elves Society Blogspot by Arnie at Jane Austen Code on Twitter. So I'm not sure what of this comes from what, but I think I just kind of put it both together. Okay, so what you were talking about earlier, the different drafts, there were three drafts. I guess you already said this, so I don't know know if I need to say it again. (laughs) Sorry. But there's the original, and then you can see under the edits that she made, and those edits make the third, and then there's a final draft that was actually published. So, like, you can kind of see the page where she was making the edits. Oh, interesting. And, okay, so also there's some spoilers for the end of the book, just in case, like, you haven't ever read it before. I just, <laughs> since we're talking about Lady <laughs> Russell, I gotta kind of talk about her. Um, but in the final chapter, Lady Russell talks about attaching herself as mother to Wentworth. And that was who was securing the happiness of her other child. And the word other was removed from the first draft and then put back into the published draft. And so this led the author of the article to start speculating as to who the other child could be. So this is one of the like fun theories of who could it be. (laughs) (laughs) I think personally that it's just saying that Anne is the child, but now Frederick is the new child. So Anne is the other child. But I think that the speculation is fun anyway. So the Arnie, the, the writer of this theory speculates that there could be other options one is that the other child is sir elliot because he's a big baby (laughs) (laughs) two it could be mary musgrove also her goddaughter presumably three she could have grown children that we just never learn about in the novel or four the juicy one (laughs) (laughs) possibly Lady Russell and Sir Walter had a tryst back in the day, and that produced a child, none other than Mr. William Elliot. (laughs) (laughs) It would fit the habit of referring to illegitimate illegitimate children as cousins during this time. And it could it kind of parallels Austen's first published work, Sense and Sensibility, in which she changed some of the references to Colonel Brandon's natural child by Mrs. Jennings. So like in the revisions we know of that one, the way she like changed the wording, the author of the essay thought that this was done because of the parallel to Warren Hastings and his love child, Eliza Hancock Austin, which remember we kind of learned about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Eliza who maybe Lady Susan. Anyway, (laughs) go back and listen to the old episodes. (laughs) But (laughs) It was a little unclear. <laughs> um, maybe have been explained better in like the Sense and Sensibility Revisions article. But there were some comments after the article that denied this interpretation. But Arnie was very persistent that it could work either way <laughs> and is convinced that Austin liked to bury darker interp- interpretations within the text. So I don't really personally think that that 
I don't know. It just doesn't even feel that fun to have William Elliot be the secret child between Lady Russell and Sir Walter. But it's a fun thing to think about. <laughs> and I always like a good <laughs> speculation. I was really looking to see if I could find one about Mr. Elliot's possibly killing his wife, which I personally think <laughs> right. seems the most likely of all the <laughs> weird theories for this book. But I couldn't right. find any articles about it, which was very surprising to me. You got to write that one. That's weird. I guess so. <laughs> uh, potential murderers in Jane Austen. I will do yeah. a panel at next year's Jane Austen book. <laughs> okay, so for sorting her, I looked up the most reliable signs who gives the best advice, ranked from best to worst. And so obviously I didn't pick the best, but we, I picked some middle ones. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Okay, so we have Libra. When your problems involve other people, you want Libra as a mediator. They can sense imbalance and unfairness and will help you work together to make things right. The downside of this is that you'll probably have to make some compromises. Libra is a people pleaser, but they care more about justice and lasting peace than they do for catering to anyone else's ego. Libra won't take sides. So that's a possible. And we also have... These are four, five, and six, by the way, <laughs> on the list. Five is Scorpio. You might think twice about giving any old Scorpio access to your secrets and vulnerabilities, but if you can count a Scorpio among your true friends, they'll honor the trust you place in them. Scorpio is a great listener, though they probably won't give you much objective feedback. They're too enchanted with drama and mystery for that. <laughs> Turn to Scorpio when you want to figure out how to take advantage of a bad situation, especially if you're looking for revenge. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like that does kind of sound like her, ex except for like, you know, the revenge part or whatever. But yeah. And then we have Taurus. Go see Taurus before a financial disaster strikes. <laughs> <laughs> They're not great with immediate money problems, but they can show you how to invest wisely to make sure that your future is secure. Ruled by quiet, compassionate Venus, Taurus is a great listener. They're attuned to their loved one's emotional distress. They might not understand everything you're going through or be able to provide good advice. They really do care, though, and sometimes that's all you need. I think Taurus sounds pretty good. I think Taurus sounds the closest. Yeah. I agree. That really jumped out. Just for you, Christian, though, I would, I'd like to point out that in this article, it said Sagittarius are the worst in advice, but no. I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> We've consistently said they're the best. <laughs> I don't believe it because my mom was a Sagittarius and she was the best in advice. <laughs> yes. Okay. Based and for her... Oh, so, sorry about... Well, I just said that article just did not like a Sagittarius, so they put it yeah. at the bottom. <laughs> I didn't write down why, because that was more for you than for Lady Russell. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, so for D&D, &D, I said lawful neutral, or the judge. <laughs> mm. And I, I guess maybe I did a, a quiz for this one. Mm -hmm. A lawful neutral character acts as law, tradition, or a person, or a, a personal code directs her. Order, organ, and oh my god, Maya. <laughs> order and organization are paramount to her. She may believe in personal order and live by a code or standard, or she may believe in order for all and favor a strong, organized government. Lawful neutral is the best alignment you can be because it means you are reliable and honorable without being a zealot. Lawful neutral can be a dangerous alignment when it seeks to eliminate all freedom, choice, and diversity in society. 
I do like that. What was your thoughts? I think, I, I feel like, because at first I was thinking maybe lawful good, because she's never having any bad intentions. That's but true. I could, I could totally see where, because she is lawful and she's kind of sticking to this, like, code, that maybe the code might not necessarily, it's not all great, and but she'll stick to it rather than stick up for maybe what is actually right. I could totally see that happening. Yeah. She's willing to, like, change her mind on things. Yeah. So I, I guess maybe that makes her a little more neutral. What do you think, Krista? Yeah. I don't know D&D well enough. What you said you sounded great. <laughs> <laughs> kind of put our own interpretation on it. We're still figuring it out. We just realized that there were nine alignments like four episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think neutral is better than good because I, I would say... You know, in the event that something, you know, would happen with like nobility and like maybe like an uprising or something, she would, I would feel like she would take more of the side of nobility because of her lawfulness and her commitment to like rules and like whatever the code is of the day. So I could totally see that. Yeah, she's really into social. um, (laughs) Yeah, since her husband was a knight and all. Right. The lowest on the, the lowest noble totem pole. Exactly. I mean, Austin Austin definitely paints her as somebody whose values are not the ones we're supposed to uh, always align with. Right. She's yeah. certainly not depicted as, I mean, yes, fundamentally she's good and she loves Anne, but she's also quite mistaken uh, in some ways mm-hmm. that are very important, actually, because they interfere with Anne's happiness yeah potentially interfere with her long-term happiness so yeah right yeah I totally agree all right so Taurus lawful neutral (laughs) (laughs) oh final thoughts on this section (laughs) I like the the through line of the pleasant surprises I was pleasantly surprised by this group of chapters i but going in because we're going to bath and Anne was so not about it i kind of <laughs> in turn was not really about it and was kind yeah. of like all right let's get this over with um <laughs> but i really enjoyed these chapters a lot and yeah. it was good to see Anne. i feel like we're getting Anne more out of her shell and she's yeah. kind of maybe being more social and kind of maybe taking more more space for herself which i really like so i'm excited to see where she even goes even next yeah i'm wondering is like her time in uppercross with wentworth being there did that like kind of alter her perspective in general just to make when she came back it was like i don't it's not as important to me anymore you know like right what's going on here i don't know what about you Kristen? yeah i think she definitely grew over the time at uppercross she faced something she was really afraid of and, you know, worked her way through it and got to a point where she felt like they, she and Captain Wentworth were actually on their way to becoming friends again, which was a big, big deal for her. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that she really seems more sure of herself and mature in these um, chapters. I think I noticed it because we're having that we have the conversation with her and Mary and Charles and Lady Russell and Mary is saying that Lady Russell would not like Captain Binnick. And it Austin actually 
puts words in Anne's mouth where she says, I don't agree with you. And while we've heard that she has disagreed privately, and we've <laughs> been told that, you know, she taught, like, for example, she told Elizabeth to watch out for Mrs. Clay, even when Elizabeth said, you're totally wrong. Uh-huh. But I don't, I couldn't remember that we had seen her, like actually seen her say to somebody, I disagree with you. And here's why, which yeah. I think is kind of a big deal for her because she tends to keep her mouth shut. So I was struck by that. Yeah. And just like you guys were saying, we, we got to see so many of the characters just, we get to see them interact with each other and think through things and we get to know them better. And so we just spend a lot of time with these people that got introduced in the first couple chapters and now we're really getting to know them better. And it's just really fascinating to see, you know, what Sir Walter's like now that he's in Bath or, you know, try to figure out what yeah. uh, Mr. Elliot is like, what's his deal. And Miss Smith is, is an interesting one. I'll, I'll be interested to hear what you guys think about her toward the end because she's always been a weird kind of character for me she comes out of left field she's completely different from everybody else and I've had a hard time kind of figuring out what her purpose is besides plot advancement right. but I have some ideas um this time and I'd be curious to see if they actually play out as I continue to read the book yeah in terms of paralleling with with Anne and Bennick and yeah there's just a lot in this book about how do you deal with suffering and illness and injury and you know yeah what what is it that makes you a a better person or a good person or a worthwhile person somebody worth knowing you know yeah I think that's a big theme of this book for sure so anyway I had a I had a good time um hanging out with all our our, all our friends (laughs) (laughs) yeah I will say it's very cool to go to Bath and see all these characters in a different place because it puts them into a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Like Sir Walter and Elizabeth back at home, they could be snobby, but like they are surrounded by this huge estate and blah, blah, blah. It kind of fit them. But in Bath, it kind of just makes them seem like more petty. Like they're just standing on the street judging everyone comes by and they're just interested in how many cards are coming to their house. And, and what were you saying about her? Oh yeah, she's, now she's speaking up for herself more and yeah it's just really cool to see them all like even the crofts you know we didn't know them before and now in bath they're very similar to what they are in kellynch but they don't they seem more like of the people like they know everybody in town the elliots think they know everybody everybody wants to know us but really the crofts are out there talking to everybody they meet on the street (laughs) and yeah and just you know and being like oh I thought this was gonna be so horrible but really I don't it's not as important to me like all this Mm -hmm. stuff and I'm willing to go my own way and do my own thing and yeah I appreciate everybody's growing (laughs) yeah Yeah. even Mary who she's like you know it was nice to be a nurse to Louisa and (laughs) care for someone else (laughs) (laughs) it made me learn to love someone more (laughs) (laughs) I would say, um, go ahead. Sorry. sorry I was just going to say that um, when we read Northanger Abbey, there was a part where Henry Tilney was telling Catherine that what it's like to learn to love. (laughs) Mm. And that's really stuck with Mm. me since we read it. Um, So it's fun to see that kind of theme also show up in this book. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Northanger Abbey because I also 
especially in these chapters, um, I was kind of like looking at the dichotomy of how we're viewing Bath from Northanger Abbey, where Catherine's her first mm. time. She's a teenager and she's like kind of like blown away by the regality of everything, all the balls and all the craziness of it. And, you know, we're coming in with Anne, who's been here before at the lowest point of her life. And just seeing how she kind of, how differently Bath is kind of portrayed, where it's not as she's not as concerned with the glamour of it i mean we go to the um i can't remember what they're called but like the you know the lower poor lower housing rooms or yeah oh yeah yeah like the uh i don't remember what it's called I either i can't remember what it's called but um you just where mrs smith seeing... is yeah where yes. mrs smith is she's in westgate right, westgate right, something westgate. or other westgate buildings maybe yeah yeah and just near the kind near of... the baths yeah Right. And just seeing like a different side of Bath and seeing someone else kind of enjoy it for different reasons. It was really interesting to see those two. And it's really interesting to keep thinking about how these two books were packaged together initially. <laughs> yeah. Which oh, yeah. is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's like Catherine's there as a tourist and <laughs> yes. Anne is there as a resident. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's Which funny. I guess Jane I Austen was that. both at certain times of her life. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess at the beginning at the end. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was fun. Yeah. We only have two more sections left, if you can believe <laughs> it. I guess you're going to be with us for the finale, but you won't be with us for the big Not Mrs. The Smith time. section coming up next. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll read it. <laughs> yeah, we'll get your thoughts on that in the finale episode. Yeah. Okay. So let's do recommendations. Yeah. So uh, for my recommendation today, I'm going to recommend a cookbook. Ooh. It is Downtime Deliciousness at Home by uh, Nadine Levy Redzepi. And if you recognize the last name, she's married to Renee Redzepi, who is the founder and owner, head chef of um, Noma in Copenhagen, which has won restaurant of the year like a bunch of times they've won a bunch of like michelin stars Hmm. they're just like super creative and innovative and i'll probably one day talk about them more because i'm kind of obsessed with um, (laughs) them and their instagram because they always do crazy stuff but (laughs) she used to work i don't know if she worked at noma but she used to work with her husband and has kind of since since she's had children has kind of just gone home and kind of been working on these cookbooks and this cookbook is kind of more of a cookbook that kind of gives you the blend of like complex flavors with just very simple in a very simple ingredient list so most of these ingredients are going to be very commonly found and they're going to be normal things that there's not going to be anything really abstract or weird but she just has a really great way of combining all these things for creating like really interesting flavors and really simple dishes that I've really enjoyed and they all take like except for like a you know baking like lasagna recipes and stuff but they will some of them will take like less than 20 minutes mm. and they're always really great and I just and the the book is really beautiful it's like a dark blue and with like gold accents and so it's on display in my kitchen and I just really love it so it sounds like you need to make me dinner <laughs> <laughs> I will it's really it's really simple that's why I love it because I can just I have most of it in my kitchen. You probably just need to buy proteins or any, like any sort of like vegetables. And if you have access to a, a farmer's market, it's probably like 
the best book for that. Oh, awesome. Cool. What about you, Kristen? Do you have a recommendation this week? So I don't have a cultural recommendation. That's fine. I recommended to think of one between yesterday and today. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to recommend what's kind of been on my heart. And this won't be a surprise, I think, but old friendships. That is my recommendation. So I recommend that people call or text an old friend like soon because you never know. You never know what's going to happen. And that's just important. I'll tie it into to our chapters. If Anne had not, you know, pursued her old friend, Mrs. Smith, she could have ended up miserable. So yeah. <laughs> look out for your future <laughs> self true. and talk to your old friends. <laughs> yes. That's a great that's recommendation, a great mm-hmm. especially after like this last year, everybody was kind of talking to each other at the beginning. And then it was like, everything's so depressing. We just don't, we kind of all stopped talking to each other so much. And but it was nice because at the beginning I was calling a lot of my friends who I, you know, only see maybe like once a year yeah, or every yeah. couple of years. And that's some really great conversations. And yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> well, for my recommendation this week, I'm going to recommend a book that I've been listening to. I definitely recommend the audiobook because it's read by the author. It's called Mythos by Stephen Fry. And it is, it's kind of a retelling of Greek myths, kind of starts back at the earliest, like Titans, Gaia, and, you know, tells the whole stories of all of them, but it's written in such a way that like, it's really understandable. It's not like Iliad and Odyssey kind of language. It's very modern telling. And it really goes through all of the gods. And it's very interesting. It's very easy to just like listen to a little bit and put it down because it's very short little chapters. But I've, I've always liked mythology, and I think this is just a really great way to learn some of this mythology. Plus, it's Stephen Fry, who's got a great voice, and he's really funny. And yeah, I would definitely recommend that one. That's a great book. Mythos by Stephen Fry. He does a lot of audiobooks. Yeah, like, I didn't I mean, know he- I, I know that he did the, the British version of Harry Potter, but my kids have been listening to various things like Winnie the Pooh. He does Winnie the Pooh, like other people wow. do too, but he, he does, I think he does a voice of Winnie the Pooh. And yeah. um, there was something else. And now I can't think. I was thinking it was Paddington, but it might not be. Anyway. Yeah. It's, it's funny to hear Stephen Fry's voice coming out of Winnie the Pooh. Like, oh, yeah. And he was weird. just in Love and Friendship, which we did as our last right. Jane Austen thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of meant to recommend this during that, but I think I hadn't, gotten as far in the book so i was like mm. let me get a little bit further um, <laughs> let me see what's worth it that he must be like the most working person <laughs> because he does like that qi show he oh, yeah i don't even know what all he does in england but i assume that he's always on the television <laughs> or his voice is always on the radio <laughs> but yeah he's also he's also a a good uh scholar i guess <laughs> with his greek myths <laughs> But yeah, definitely recommend that one. And I guess um, all that's left is contact. Yes. If you would like to email us, you can email us at mannersandmadness at gmail.com. You can DM us on Twitter at mannersmadness or on Instagram at mannersandmadnesspod. Or you can leave a one-minute voicemail on our website at mannersandmadness.com. 
Yes. And on our website, it's also a donation button. If you would like to donate to Manners and Madness, we are in need of some new audio equipment. So <laughs> if you would like to help us, we would so appreciate it. Next week, we are doing Twin Peaks, episode six. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Christian is much better at keeping this in his brain than me. And for <laughs> Jane Austen, we are doing chapters... <laughs> 19 through 21 Perfect. and that will be in two weeks <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited I think we're probably in June or July by now <laughs> wow <laughs> we're really getting ahead <laughs> so we'll never be able to recommend Loki but I'm sure that I will love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it eventually <laughs> yeah. when we come back for the check in it'll be all Loki <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that'll be our recommendation every week <laughs> <laughs> thank you Kristen so much for coming back and we're so excited to have you for the finale yay yes. wrap up this cool book <laughs> anything else no okay <laughs> alright well um, we will talk to you next week yes thank Good you for listening night. bye, bye.